This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge. Creative Edge specializes in getting exposure for independent artists, writers, and authors. They also specialize in arranging book signings, school, or library events, or other functions pertaining to the arts. If you are interested in seeing what they can do for you, visit them at creative-edge.com. Welcome to the In the Mouth of Monster podcast. I'm your host, Monster Dugan, and with me today in the lair is my co-host, John Schatzer. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Now that uh, Halloween's over, how many movies did you get up to? I uh, My personal record was 73, and I wanted to break it this year, and I didn't. Um, I only got to 64. Damn, that's still good, though, man. Still 64. Yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of my favorites watch some new stuff um so yeah it was a good time it was a good time you know and um really that last weekend the 31st i did well but like you know that saturday i think i only watched one movie and i just i yeah i did what i wanted to do so it was good it was good and i also watched the new halloween kills oh yeah that was my that was my halloween that was one of my i my my lineup for actual the 31st is I watched Halloween Kills first, and then my favorite all-time movie, Dawn of the Dead, Romero's original, and yeah. then Fright Night, because I got to have some Roddy McDowell. Oh, Army yeah. of Darkness, only because I watched Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 already in the month. And then I always end my actual day of Halloween. When when it went from the 31st to the 1st, I was almost to the end of the original Halloween from 1978, the Carpenter classic, so... Yeah, I usually watch that every year, but I've watched it so many times like now that I kind of get bored with it, as I've said. So I actually watched The Midnight Hour twice on Halloween. I couldn't help it. I just I love that movie so damn much. So, yeah, that, that was what I ended up doing on Halloween as I watched that. I, yeah, I that, up... one, that one, weirdly, there were a couple movies that I normally watch. It didn't make it this time. And Midnight Hour is one of them. I, I, I normally watch that and I didn't I didn't watch it this time around. Well, you know, with uh, I... the the theater's not, you know, doing so well and stuff. I basically <clears throat> bought an, I bought my own uh, movie screen and projector and stuff a while back, like about a year ago now. And so I've been watching movies on my own big screen in my uh, in my house. And so I couldn't help but throw Midnight Hour up on the big screen, which is the first time I've ever seen it that big. And it, it man, it was just a blast. So cool, excellent. But, yeah, so we're gonna head into our Thanksgiving special here, which I'm calling Terror at the Table. Last year we did uh, Turkey and Blood. This time we're doing Terror at the Table. You know, I just I just wanted to uh, get somebody on here who's done something uh, Thanksgiving-wise. And they, Tim Gross and, uh, oh, I forget the other guy's name, but they uh, did the... Dan Boyd. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and they did uh, the remake of Blood Freak, which is, you know, a Thanksgiving film, which a lot, a lot of people aren't uh, very aware of, being that it's an old 1972 film that they remade. So, but it's yeah, actually, sir, that's their second movie. Their first movie was Jag Off Massacre. Yeah, which I tried to find both of those. I couldn't find them anywhere to watch. And I'm like, damn, they're not streaming anywhere or anything. So I guess you have to buy them from, from Gross Fest or whatnot. I, I mean, I don't know what. We'll talk to Tim about where they can pick those up. But yeah, you got to basically get it from them. They're, they're, not, they're not streaming or anywhere out there. Yeah, which sucks because Blood Freak would be, I mean, that would be a hit if it was streaming around right now. If it was on like Tubi or, or Amazon or something, you know, I think I think it would do really well, but. Especially, you know, being for Thanksgiving. Although, 
you know, we only celebrate that here in the U.S. You know, we're kind of not everybody celebrates this, obviously. Goddamn commies. <laughs> all right. Well, with all of our nonsense out of the way, we'll take a break and we'll be right back after this. Since it's Thanksgiving and all that, we should go around and say what we're thankful for. I'm thankful that your mom has the juiciest poon in town. Back in the 1500s, in the settlement of Kralberg, an old Indian by the name of Feathercloud was dishonored by a pilgrim. Feathercloud necromanced a turkey. A turkey that would stop at nothing to get what he wanted to kill. Everything's gonna be okay. You don't believe me, do you? I do believe you. There's no such thing as an evil turkey. Whoa. There's no such thing as an evil turkey. This little baby bunny got its stomach not open by a beak. Not just any beak. A turkey beak. There's no such thing as an evil turkey. There's no such thing. Oh, wait, I lied. You just got stuff! Go get Johnny. At the end of the Mouth the Monster podcast, and I'm gonna let John take over here. Hey, it's John, and I'm here with Tim Gross and uh, Monster, and I'm uh, gonna ask you some questions here, Tim. Uh, first of all, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your background, where you're from, and how you got into this crazy movie making business? Um, I got into it just because I loved movies, uh, literally, just like uh, probably you guys. I have liked movies or movies from an early age uh always have and just uh ever since i was three years old i always wanted to do a movie wanted to write about a movie uh everything to do with horror movies i have figured out how to do that and it's all been for fun not in it for the money and just over the years it uh pretty much started by accident through uh Mike Watt and Amy Lynn Best, they were working on a movie called The Resurrection Game in 1999, actually being shot on 16 millimeter at the time. They were looking for zombie extras and they wanted a shot of a zombie being shot. He gets shot in the head, of course, and then does a deadfall through a door. All their friends did not want to do it. I did it in one take. Everybody thought I killed Mike because he was the one holding up the door and literally deadfalled through the door. And ever since then, it's been history. I've probably been a part of about 30 indie productions now. I have written at least a dozen books now. 
I have directed three movies, well, four if you count uh, Jagoff Massacre 2 that we never released and never finished, maybe someday. Uh, but I've done that. I've run a horror movie convention called Gross Fest for independent horror movies and independent authors. Uh, you name it, I've done it. That's pretty much the summarized version of what I've been doing with my life. But is and the other part of the passion always comes from for a lot of years, I was always told you can't do that. And as I tell a lot of indie filmmakers, never let anybody tell you you can't do that. Uh, just I was told you couldn't write a book. First person ever got to see my first volume of gross movie reviews was Joe Bob Briggs. And he literally checked it out, thought it was great. And he said, go with it, kid. Just go with your passion. And ever since then, I kept writing books. And then I was told, hey, you can't direct a movie. And literally at a horror convention on a dare, I directed a short film called Undead Holocaust. And basically that's what led into directing Jagoff Massacre. And from there, I was also told, uh, you can't run a horror movie convention. And I've also done that. And the sad part is, made money. So <laughs> it just uh, it literally, that's why I always say, don't let anybody tell you uh, anything. If it is your passion, you can make 20 bad movies. All it takes is that one. Long as you're having fun and you have passion for it. You can make 20 bad movies and rest assured, Tim Gross will watch them. Yeah, I'll uh, watch a bunch of them, especially <laughs> if Massacre's in the title. <laughs> so so talking about you, uh, your directing, I know you and your partner, Dan. Yes. Um, partner in crime there, Dan. You created uh, a movie production company called Drunken Yinzers. And I know Monster was interested in the 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 origins of Yinzers and what that means to uh, Pittsburgh people. <laughs> yes, uh, so can you explain a little bit how you and Dan... Uh, put the company together, and then maybe explain Yinzers to people. And then I want to ask you a Jagoff Massacre question. Okay. Yeah. Um, literally, Dan and I met at a comic book convention, I would say, oh, around 08, 09, around there, by accident. He was selling out of print movies, and we became instant friends because the show was going really bad for me because apparently you do not take uh, horror movie review books to a comic book convention because people look at you like you killed their child <laughs> in the middle of the aisle. I did not sell a thing other than two books to Michael Felsher. Yes, that person. Out outside of him, everybody looked at me like, like I said, I was slaughtering children. But I came across the table, and the big thing was I said uh, to this person at that time, uh, Daniel Boyd, I said, hey, do you have out-of-print 80s movies? Because I'm looking for spookies. I'm looking for, like, killer party. I'm looking for stuff. like." And he's like, yes, I do. And we became instant friends. We've seen each other a few times over the next year or two, and just doing stuff. And then Horror Realm came about, and... That was when somebody dared me to make a short, uh, make a short film, which I did at a film festival that I ran at Horror Realm. Had literally something like 75, 80 people watch my short film and sold 100 copies of it within a day and a half. It was only seven minutes long. It's up on YouTube for anybody that's interested. It's on Dead Holocaust. Well, the point is, as uh, soon as I did that, Daniel Boyd, who was sitting next to me for his like first horror realm uh they wanted me to watch him because they felt he was shady which little did they know about me who <laughs> was pulling bottles of crown royal out of his book box and kept giving them the dan so <laughs> it just 
Dan goes, I'm going to write a script uh, because all because an artist on one of my books had a hat on my head and it was on the cover and it was called Jagoff Massacre. Over the next couple of months, I started getting these weird emails and it was from Dan. And then we started contacting each other on Facebook. Uh, we decided Dan's like, I really want to have this meeting. So I went to his house one night and there's Chuck Connors and Brandon Snyder sitting in the living room. Don't know who they are at this time, but as a peace offering, put down a 12 pack of Yingling beer in front of them. Dan and I went and talked for 45 minutes in the kitchen and I was already convinced we were going to do the movie. I walked in the living room, the 12 pack was already drank and I said, Yinzer hired. <laughs> and that is how Drunken Yinzer's Productions became an entity. Like it became a thing right there and then. Uh, literally just Dan's thinking was, oh, Tim's made movies before. No, I haven't. <laughs> just <laughs> Dan not knowing anything. I'm not knowing anything. The thing was, I did know a cameraman, Bryce Katzman, who I worked with him on my short film, but knew he worked on actual bigger projects. Uh, brought him in. He brought camera. He brought equipment. Uh, explained to Dan how we could do this. And Dan's like, cool. Let's drink the whole time. And again, this goes into why it's called Drunken Yinzer's Productions. And nice. literally, that was how it was formed. That was how we came to be. And Yinzer itself is kind of what Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh people, if you've been born and bred here, uh, it's literally what we call each other just because of the accent. Uh, we put the S at the end of everything, like Aldi is actually Aldi, we call it Aldi's. Or if Giant Eagle, we call it Giant Eagles, uh, which it's I-G-G-L-E-S, and it's actually just Eagle, like the bald eagle. Um, but this is what a Yinzer is. And a lot of it even too, uh, for anybody that's familiar with Pittsburgh Steelers and the fans, you'll hear Yinzers being thrown around. Even some of the terrible towels say Yinzers on them. It's been a Pittsburgh term to basically call each other for many, many years. And what's funny is outside of Pittsburgh, literally you can drive 20 miles outside of Pittsburgh. Yinzer does not exist. Yins is gone from the lexicon. It is a very weird thing. But if recently I've even heard somebody try to explain to me the term is used in Chicago also, which is, feels kind of weird, but no, it's not. That's no, uh, yeah. It's just my like, wife is born and bred in Chicago. Her whole family's out there. No, it's not. yeah. Well, I've had, not used. yeah, I've had a couple people try to explain that to me, and I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna go with that, kids. I was like, but Yinzer is just like it's not a derogatory. It's just one of those things we're making fun of each other. It literally, when you're in grade school, we had English teachers that were putting S's at the end of everything, and there was no S. So that's, that's yeah, that's kind of where Yinzer comes from. Yeah, I just, so, you know, because, well, I always want to say, because, uh, you know, I do the the uh, Shitty Shark Show podcast with John and Keith and Maddie, so, yes. you know, uh, working with them all the time on that show, I've become accustomed to the Yenzers and hearing all of that, so I, I, you know, I have a, an idea of what it is and stuff, but I just wanted everybody else who's not aware, like you said, you know, you can drive 20 miles away and people don't know what that means, so. No, it's, it's funny, uh, Cleveland knows. Uh, one of the favorite things, uh, one of the first wastelands I went to and had a table was going to hit the bar. And it's like, hey, Yin's guy, Yingling. And dude was like, he literally called me a bunch of bad stuff. <laughs> and it's like, go back to Pittsburgh. 
<laughs> and I just couldn't stop laughing. Because it was like, I wonder how many times he's actually heard somebody talk like that. And But yeah, it is, it is kind of like, I like to compare it to like, if you're in a deep south and you immediately hear that accent, kind of like Dukes of Hazard kind of thing, that is kind of what Yinzers, that's how unique the Yinzers accent and just Yinzers is in Pittsburgh for a lot of people that were born and bred here. So, Tim. Your your first movie that you did uh, with Drunken Yenzers yes. is Jagoff Massacre. Yes. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? And also, was that the first time you appeared in a movie in drag? No, it wasn't. Like I said, uh, first to talk about appearing in drag, uh, I appeared in uh, Amy Lynn Best slash Watts uh, film severe injuries that she did. I think it came out in 2002. Literally, it was one of those things. Did a read through. I was just there because, of course, I did Resurrection Game with them. I believe severe injuries was their follow up movie. And they didn't, the girl that was supposed to show up and do Mrs. Lunford was not there. And she never showed up anyhow. So we were joking around like, oh, yeah, you know, you should do this. You should really uh, you you should do it. And I was like, OK, I read it and I just started doing this weird voice, just playing around with it, thinking I am the house mother of Black Christmas in 74 version. I just I was playing around with it. Everybody <laughs> liked it. And I just didn't think anything of it. A couple months passed because you're waiting for summer to start shooting down in Waynesburg, P.A., I go there thinking, oh, I'm going to help Charlie. I'm going to help them. I'm going to be a grip, you know, doing go for work, stuff like that, just because I love movies. I I literally turn into a 13-year-old when I'm on set of a movie, even to this day. I, it just excites me a lot. And literally, I get on set, and we're talking about it, and they're like, so we're thinking about really making you Mrs. Lunford. So I went home and had this conversation with the wife. And it's like, I actually need a dress. Somehow <laughs> found a dress. We find a house coat. And all of a sudden, this character is born, which, aka, a decade later, Dan gets in his mind, hey, we need her to show up. Do you have the costume? Oh, by the way, yes, I do. It's sitting in my closet at home. <laughs> so... Nice. One night, uh, that's how Mrs. Lunford gets into Jagoff Massacre for no other reason. Just Dan wanted to put it into Jagoff Massacre. And the whole, like, wrestling theme and everything I did with Jamie, him and uh, he was one of the demonic characters. He's one of the minions that literally him and I just go through what we're going to do in about 10 minutes. And I'm just like, work with me. We're going to do some wrestling moves. And we did it all. In, literally, we did two takes, one all the way through and a second one just to uh, make sure if we needed anything edited. But everything that's in there literally was done in one take. It's taken in the movie. It was edited with the second take. But literally, we did it in one take where Jamie jumps off the porch, comes running at me, uh, tackles me off with the walker, and we just start doing wrestling moves camera never stopped and everybody started clapping after it was done because <laughs> we literally cut as he's basically 
he's supposed to stab me in the eye. He actually stabs the ground right next to my head. And that was where we're cutting at. So and that and Mrs. Lunford was born and that she actually does uh show up again in the uh that footage for Jagoff Massacre 2, which was never finished. Um and I will just allude to she might make one more appearance in Tales from the Gross Side the movie. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that needs to happen. Um so <laughs> This is the Thanksgiving episode, mm-hmm. and the real reason, well, other than the fact you're a good conversationalist, but but we we decided, or Monster wanted to have you on because of Blood Freak. Yes. Um, can so Blood Freak, you guys decided to make or your second film. You decided to remake what is, I think, admittedly one of the most infamously bad. Um, drive-in movies like the point that you watch it because it's so horrible um why well (laughs) literally blood freak was never supposed to happen it it, i mean we were talking about blood freak we weren't even finished with jagoff massacre and we were finished with jagoff massacre in 13 and we were already talking like okay well, if we're going to do something, let's do maybe let's do Jagoff Masker 2. And we were playing around with that at the time. And Dan's like, you know what? I always really wanted somebody to remake Blood Freak. And I'm like, nobody's going to effing watch that movie ever. You know, it's like nobody cares. It's bad. So it would always be on the back burner. But all the time, like we literally spent two and a half years filming Jagoff Masker 2. We have two and a half hours footage to a movie we never finished. It was literally one of those projects because, you know, this actor left or doing something else. And Blood Freak was always there. And we just never really took it serious because we talked about doing She Shed Massacre. Um, We even were starting pre-production on Black O'Lantern at the time. Um, We had all these other things. We were constantly either doing some kind of pre-production or still trying to hold out hope for Jagoff Massacre 2. And finally, about, I'd say, late 2018, um, Dan written the whole entire script for Blood Freak. Uh, I will always get, I mean, he was the one that wrote Jagoff Massacre. We both directed it. I added scenes and stuff like that. It's a 50-50 thing the whole way. Uh, With Blood Freak, he wrote the whole script, but what was fun for me about Blood Freak was I directed a good bit of it because Dan was like, I trust what you're seeing through the camera. I'm going to set up shots. I'm going to rewrite stuff. You're going to be like, you're the one that's calling the shots here. And it was really cool just to do that kind of stuff. And I seen what he wanted to do, and it was a lot of fun. But... I was even up until we did the reading with Chuck, uh, Chuck Connors, uh, not the one from Taurus Trap, the famous Chuck Connors that actually got to be have a role in concussion with Alec Baldwin and Will Smith at one point. Uh, We were sitting around Dan's table. We read it. It just all of a sudden we we, all three of us looked at each other and like, yeah, we need to do this movie. Uh, That was when Dan was like, hey, instead of only putting 50 bucks into Jagoff Massacre, we're going to actually put money into this. We're going to put about a thousand dollars. My aunt's making the turkey head. Uh, How much do we owe her for that? Nothing. She's making it. I was like, cool. I was telling him, I was like, I know this person. Bryce is on board to do, you know, film. Uh, 
bring in the actress uh, Ashley Schimmel, who's never acted before, and she was wonderful throughout it. Dan brought on a couple other friends in it. And then, of course, we had Jamie come in again. Jamie Gregory, who's in Jagoff Massacre. He's been with us with everything. And it just, it was all coming together. And unlike Jagoff Massacre, where, yes, we drank the whole time with Blood Freak. But Jagoff Massacre, that was literally a drunken production where this, we learned from the first one, had fun with it, actually set up scenes, filmed in four different homes, a uh, couple of different outdoor locations. Uh, this one was a much more structured, and that's what made Blood Freak much different. But also, too, the other thing we kept saying while we were making Blood Freak is we got to try to take out anything that's going to slow the movie down like the original did. That was always apparent when we were filming Blood Freak. We were constantly like, Taking take after take after take and literally trying to edit footage down as we even were filming just because we did not want to have a boring version of Blood Freak. And then once it was finished, our goal was was like, OK, this is done. Is anybody still alive to come find us? Because if they were, we were going to call Blood Freak the musical. So it just nice. didn't want anybody coming <laughs> for us and what was funny is it literally all tied in together just so well and the pandemic literally hit as we were doing the final editing on blood freak uh we had a finish we had a rough cut of the film but we went into the pandemic where dan and myself were editing whether it was through phone calls uh sitting through a few hours on skype uh, emails. We, for a few months there, we showed a rough cut in a theater where it was literally us and 20 other people sitting like 20 feet apart from each other just so we could play it in a theater, actually see the finished product. And then it just sat because we didn't have an outlet to sell it, but we started having trickling in a few people that wanted to review it. And, and like Jagoff Massacre, we, you know, we were making people buy that one. We were like, okay, this is the way we're going to get it out there. Let's start sending it out to some critics and some people we respect. And what was funny is uh, what happened at this past Cinema Wasteland, it just, everybody loved it. They, they said uh, exactly what we set out to do, not make a boring movie, not make a, we took out all the bad stuff. What makes that other one, that older version, just, yeah, it's so dull. And yeah. we've, and literally we had so many people that we respect to begin with that review tons of movies and they're like, first, we thought you made a mistake remaking Blood Freak. And then we watched it and we're so happy you did. And to hear that, that you don't hear that much from critics in general with any type of remake. And I think just because Blood Freak, the original version, is such a bad movie to begin with. And we had, you know, especially Dan writing the script, uh, had such a different outlook at it and being just so self-aware of what needed to be done. And then having this being our not just second, but maybe third real production. We learned stuff. We figured out some stuff uh, and on a thousand dollars. That was how we made Blood Freak. And that was like how it came to be. 
And now all of a sudden it's starting to pick up some steam now that we can go to conventions and put it out there in more places. Yeah, you know, that original is is not very uh, not very fun, but there I mean, there's some great parts in it. But, yeah, it's you know, I, I rewatched it just again just to, uh, you know, it's been I haven't seen it in like 20 years, but I figured I'd just give it a go again real quick. And man, it, yeah, it's got some really slow parts. So, I mean, I haven't seen your guys's remake. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I actually, uh, you know. Was, we were going to ask you about where we could, you know, where people can find that and stuff. But And it's funny you ask that because right now at the, we made up a website just because of this. So you could get copies of Jagoff Massacre and Blood Freak. When you can't find us at a convention, you can go to drunkenyinzersproductions.company.site. If you look up Drunken Yinzers Productions on Google, you'll find us or on Facebook. But right now this month, if you do buy a copy of Blood Freak from us, we take your name, take, you know, what information we need, and we automatically enter you into the contest at the end of the month. You have a chance to win the killer turkey head that was in Blood Freak. Uh, I'm going to have to get on that. <laughs> yeah, no longer can, does Dan want it sitting in his house. <laughs> He wants to he wants to give it away. So whoever buys a copy of Blood Freak this month, you're entered into winning the turkey head. Plus, uh, the other reason is we literally, uh, with the money we have made from Jagoff Massacre and Blood Freak, we are pouring it into Tales from the Gross Side. And it's funny because, again, we have learned uh, literally the first thing we did with Tales from the Gross Side before we even, uh, we had not only a table read, we actually hired two makeup people and it's no longer ourselves doing this. <laughs> and, uh, but the money we made also, we spent a thousand dollars on camera equipment. That was the first thing we did. We didn't even, we didn't even go over the script yet, but the point is blood freak is starting to pick up steam and Jagoff massacre has literally uh, the $50 movie that took $650 you know the pay for alcohol to make it has <laughs> literally around over the years we believe has closed in on five thousand dollars uh you just don't do that for indie movies especially people putting them out themselves too and with blood freak uh we have already gotten the budget back uh effects and stuff like that we knowing we were going to do some other projects at some point and that was the other thing we came up with while we were trying to edit Blood Freak, just because Dan and I couldn't see each other just like everybody else during the pandemic. Dan was literally rereading all of my short stories through my Tales from the Gross Side books and just started writing scripts. And that was how Tales from the Gross Side happened. And literally now we're, it's, I think it's going to be budgeted for about $5,000. And we actually have already shot in two major locations for that. So it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, Blood Freak, it was just, it. it's just so much fun. The killer turkey head, the people we got together to be the minions to try to exercise the demons out of the turkey. Just everyone that worked on uh, Blood Freak with us was in it 100%. It was just a lot of fun. And a lot of the people actually seen the original version of Blood Freak and were so for remaking it too, which helped. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a heck of a watch, you know, the original. I mean, you have to be a real fan of, of film films to watch that, which, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this as well. 
You know, I, I see that uh, Maddie is a fan of, of watching some pretty bad movies. Oh, and, I love her. And yes. John as well here, you know, going through the Camp Bloods and the uh, witchcraft and all that junk. I, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed those. I enjoyed the witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, you've killed enough brain cells between uh, the Crown Royal and watching shit movies that yeah. I don't think it really counts, Tim. Yeah, uh, well, John, you were watching it for other reasons. I took the witchcraft series completely serious. <laughs> Just the things I was watching that series for, I had so much fun with. But uh, yeah, John's the serious. When you're coming to critics, I like John's work. I like what he writes yeah, about yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, when I'm coming into it, oh yeah, give me witchcraft sixteen. Give me. Like, that's the whole point why I wrote a massacre book and have all the massacre movies in there and just have people sending them to me. Watching a massacre movie through an Australian website just so I could see it because it's nowhere. It's just that that kind of stuff. I love finding that stuff. And you were saying, Maddie, I love her. Her and I go at it uh, when she does these backyard drive-ins. We just bring up the most random movies, and it's so funny when I actually bring up shark movies that she hasn't seen yet. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which there aren't very many, so... No, yeah. <laughs> and I, she she has just... Uh, how to put it? Um, the, just the natural... Uh, it just... Uh, the passion she has for these independent movies i don't know if i have that joy as much as she does i i know i used to yeah i still really do but hers is just it's it's so hard to explain like no indie movie is wrong like nothing can be nothing you can say and i just I cannot rain on her parade. I, I just, I, I cannot rain on it. I'll make fun of some stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. We give her crap all the time. But, you know, it's like, you know, having a love for those films is contagious. I mean, I, you know, once I saw that she loves the like to watch bad films because I'm the same way. Like, I, I, you know, because I've mentioned this plenty of times that me and John are two old blockbuster employees. And, and you know, I, I spent years and years just renting every single film in, in, you know, in the place I worked and at the store I worked in. And so I've, you know, and not, not to mention that just that, but I've seen, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of movies and some movies that will never see the light of day. And, you know, uh, but so I've, I've, uh, you know, I've kind of been, you know, found my, my way into that, you know, loving bad films. And so I've seen a couple of things that Maddie has watched where I've watched. And then I saw you commented on them as well. And there was a couple where all of us were like, or me and you were like, it's horrible. Maddie's still like, but I loved it, you know? And yes. That's what, I, that's what I enjoy about her her take on these things, you know? And that's what I wanted to ask you about as well is, you know, liking these movies like that because they are niche and not a lot of people get to see these things. And so you watch things that a lot of people don't know about and will probably never know about. And as a, as a fan of film in general, I always like to say that whether a film is considered bad or good or what or whatever a person thinks of it, there is always something, you know, worth watching in the film and worth taking with you in a film, even if it's one of the worst films you've ever seen. 
So unless that film was camp- made by Dustin Ferguson. Yeah, well, say, even some yeah. of those camp bloods. There's got to be yes. something decent in some of those camp bloods. But uh, Wait, I know, mean, what you you're know, saying, what you're I'm, saying right there is how I've gotten to meet people like Brian Pollan, uh, just different filmmakers of that nature. Because even if I say something bad, I always say when you're writing a review, it's easy to write something bad about somebody. Try, like you said, pull something good out of the movie. Try to do that. That's hard when you're writing some of these reviews for some of these movies because some of them are bad. But I would, I like to not call them out as much as just like to call them for what they are because there is, over the years, some indie filmmakers, as John may have said his name, uh, of who does not actually care where the give again credit to maddie deering uh jim roberts john mcbride the polonia brothers before the other twin went away let's just say uh when that passion was still there even to a newcomer like kaylee crawford and dan kamarick the you know to see that passion if that movie is bad but you see something in there that you really like like dan kamarick just put out a bunch of short films he made in 08 and 09 they're terrible they're terrible i gave him kudos he opens up the dvd collection with hey these movies are bad he's like i was a kid making these but and and as long as it's kind of like their film school yes and and see them getting better as yes. opposed to staying the same. Yes, and that's what uh, him and I had that conversation We're getting worse. at my house like a couple weeks ago. We had that conversation talking about that because I said, I want to see what you're going to do now. I was like, because you knew those were bad, but you were learning as you went and you were admitting you. And I even brought up the one movie short film. It was about a stalker in a snowstorm. And I was like, dude, it's not great, but you had something there. It was like, which shows me you can write a script. You can film. It's like, so you know what you're doing. And it didn't doesn't take film school all the time. Not that film school is bad. It just doesn't always take that in order to make a movie. And that was, he thanked me for it. And that's what happens a lot of times. Uh, how I get a lot of these movies and these oddball movies no one hears about is because I've met this person, talked to this person 10, 12, 14 years ago. And like, again, like the filmmakers like Jim Roberts, I remember when he was a teenager and his mom was bringing him to conventions. I remember yeah. Steve Radinsky, who just uh, put out Carousel the second. Like, I remember yeah. working with him when he was like 15. It just some of these people kind of makes you feel old, doesn't it, Tim? Oh, it does. I am. The, <laughs> yeah, I am the old guy now all of a sudden, which is really weird uh, and still trying to handle that. But also too, looking at it, I look at it as uh, as you you got Yins were saying, uh, try to find something good out of the movie. Unless, you know, that dude is just in it for the buck, which you do come across those people. Most of the time. That movie is coming from somebody's dreams, somebody's passion. Yes, they had no money. They had an idea. And long as they live in reality, and that's all I ask any of people, 
long as you understand your scripts suck, you need to learn how to write a script or because John always has this problem. We do our podcast, Blood, Bass and Boomsticks. <laughs> we find movies with no script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, it's just, you know, long as you can point these people in the right way or in the right direction, I should say, try to help them because as I always say, make me more movies. I want to watch Drain Snake Massacre Part Three. You know, I want to well, watch I, random. Yeah, stuff. I, yeah, I agree with you, Tim. I really do. And and you know, but the flip side of that is, let's be honest. There's some people that are have no passion. I'm not going to say they have no talent, but they have no passion, and it's clear that they're in it for the money, and they're just cranking out product. You talking Charles Band? No, Charles Charles Band doesn't even make shit anymore. No, uh, some of the people he hires actually try. Um, yeah, no, it just I bring. You know who I'm talking Band. about, in particular. Yes, but Charles <laughs> Band, I just bring up because he, oh, we've talked about it several times, Sean. He had the passion with some of those Empire projects. Those were wonderful, yeah, and they even were some of the Full Moon topic. stuff is great. Yes, yes, it is. But it just, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, when it comes to indie, I mean, you know, people like you and Maddie are like, you guys are really what indie is all about and what indie really means, you know, because you guys, you know, like I said, you guys watch these things that nobody else will watch and nobody else gives the time of day. And so it's nice to see that somebody, can, you know, at, le at least gets a, gives it a shot and whatnot. Although, like we've like I've said and, you know, you've said Maddie basically loves everything and we we still we're still trying to get her to say um, give give some kind of shark film uh, uh fins down but i mean it hasn't happened yet she's almost given stuff a fins down yeah yeah you almost, gotta understand that's almost, but, shark movies are her realm yeah but it is fun to talk to her because uh about different indie movies and really get into the details of some of them and things like that and i learned that working with her on spirit animal and on the recent short uh short film project called trash removal that she it's getting picked yeah. up for an anthology uh her and i have become really good friends and just some of that stuff i i honestly feel i i admit this just because i feel kind of protective of her um just because of how too nice she is to some people's yeah in some people's movies and I tried to explain to her, there's a difference between being nice and telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, we've we've got into that with her before about something, you know, about somebody you guys just mentioned. And she was saying something about that person's work. And, you know, she was like, well, I could have been nicer. And we were like, yeah, but you're but you're telling the truth. And, and, and you know, that's what real filmmakers uh, appreciate the most is when, you know, you give them the truth of what you really thought about their film and ways to help them maybe make their films better, you know? Yeah, I mean, a real filmmaker doesn't attack, attack people or defenseless people. And when somebody does call them out, they don't ignore that person that does call them out while trying to protect somebody. And because <laughs> they know the person that did criticize them in the first place was right. But the whole point is, who cares? If you're going to yeah. be a filmmaker, if you yeah. want to, if you are, that is your passion. 
I'd rather see a hundred bad reviews and then get that one good one because you feel like that person gets what you're doing then get everybody just saying oh that's a wonderful film because a lot of times they're just saying that to put that out there i mean example and this is just terrible but it does make sense how many times over the years did we get to see fangoria say greatest horror movie of all time oh yeah i mean yeah well yeah. pretty much almost every now, the internet version of that is uh, bloody disgusting right it's yeah like, I, well this is fantastic and you watch it and you're like what did you watch yes and i just and i i, I just i can't stand that being <clears throat> the tagline for everything and well yeah. You know, just, and then you go to their website or you look at the Fangoria's that were doing that, and their reviews are right next to uh, the ad from the company that put it out. Yes. And it's like, yeah, you clearly have a vested interest in being positive about their stuff. Yes. And I was going to say, I buy a lot of these movies. I put the $10, $15, $20 down for some of these bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you. I, I not deserve, but I think your opinion, you know, you can be allowed to put your opinion out there. And if you're a filmmaker and you're very passionate about your trade, your art, however you want to say it, go make another movie. Prove that person wrong. You know, you yeah. never know. I have, a, I have an interesting story that ties into this happened about a month ago, Tim. Yes, and I got I got an email from a guy whose movie I reviewed back when I was running my old website. So it's about 12, 13 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he emails me. And he's like, hey, are you the Gut Munchers that used to run gutmunchers.com? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you remember me? I made such and such movie. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm waiting for it, right? Yeah. Ha ha. I'm a filmmaker now, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you, you said that I didn't really have it as a director. You said I really couldn't write a script. But you said my cinematography was excellent. And I'm like, yeah, I remember that now. You had all like the 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 odd colors and the soft lighting. You really knew how to set a scene and light it. And he's like, yeah. And you know what? I, I stopped trying to do the other stuff. And now I make my living as a cinematographer. That's awesome. And I'm like, dude, that's great. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I listened to what you said. And he's like, you didn't really say it meanly. You just said, hey this guy can really shoot the shit out of a movie, which is exactly what I said. And, and he's like, I took that to heart and I thought about it and I started shooting stuff for other people. And now it's my career. And I was like, all right, cool. So like you said, you always try to find the positives. Sometimes it's hard, but you always trying to find the positives, you know? And sometimes I've been like, uh, listen, man, you, you know how to edit or listen, you know how to write, but you don't know how to, you know? So it's, Mm -hmm. I personally, and I don't, I, I'm going to be a filmmaker. (laughs) like jokingly um but like if you put a movie out tim as a filmmaker and a director and somebody you know it's people who just say that movie's fucking sucks well that's not helpful but if you have somebody that says hey your narrative and your characters and you're this and you're that um, if that's a bad review but they tell you why does not isn't that helpful because you're like hey that might that might actually be true i need to fix that next time yeah it it can't be uh, I was just going to say the only thing I always like to say, though, is uh, and I just I laugh about it when I say it, but I feel like sometimes it's true for me. 
I just say, well, you know, I, I'm just making, uh, you know, how to put it. I, I'm not, I, I'm not a filmmaker. I go, that's for all of you people. It's like, I'm just here. <laughs> just uh, doing what I enjoy doing is basically what, how I say it. Yep. Yeah. And people will be like, but you are a filmmaker. And I go, I never have seen myself that like that. Yeah. Tim, I just see myself. You're four movies in like. now. You're a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. You might have been able to say that the first couple times, but you're four movies in. You're a filmmaker now, dude. Yeah. But yeah. I just I, I just don't like to lump myself in because I feel there's so many other talented people out there. Yeah, that's what I do in uh, reviews. I like to uh, point out the bad as uh, as well as the good, you know, to try and help the um, person, uh, you know, uh, become a better filmmaker in general. And I, I, I found that um, directors really like that a lot, um, you know, more so than like John said, somebody just going, oh, that, that fucking movie sucked. Uh, you know, they didn't spend any time. All their friends are saying it's great when it's really not. It's like, but if you read the actual reviews I do, it's like, yeah, I point out the bad stuff and the good stuff. There was a movie that I watched for a um, film festival uh, back in uh, 2019. And, and uh, you know, the film wasn't very good at all. Mm-hmm. But I saw potential in it and I saw certain aspects of it that were really great, you know, aspects of filmmaking. And so I put that in the review and I said that. And the next thing you know, I got about four people asking me, well, hey, where can I buy that film and so I can watch it? And I'm like... Well, it's not even out yet for one, you know, but I'm like, I didn't like it, but I wrote a review that made other people want to watch it, even though I pointed out that, hey, it's not very great. You know, it's not a great film. It doesn't have a lot going for it. There there are, you know, a lot of holes in it and the plots, you know, very thin and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, I made it I was like, but, you know, I could see it having a sequel. I could see it finding a following, you know, because it is very niche and it has a couple really cool aspects to it. And so. You know, and right and right, like, you know, a week later, people like about four people were like, hey, we're going to find this film. And I had people ask me and I'm like, you know, all because instead of bashing the film and saying how crappy it was and how much I didn't like it, I decided to find something good about the film and point that out, you know. And yeah. so it helped, it helped that film in the end, you know, and the filmmaker. So, yeah. And plus you are understanding there is other audiences i i i will say that a lot if i watch a movie knowing bad or good there's a good chance i'm never re-watching this movie i like to say it's not my cup of tea it's not in my wheelhouse kind of thing but i respect what they're doing with it because like you're saying yes i can see this certain audience i can see the steel book crowd picking this up for fifty dollars, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, I will make those comments. So yeah, I completely understand. I get that because there's always going to be movies that are outside of your thinking. Um, to this day, I will stand my ground on it. Hereditary. I don't know how you feel about it. I think it's a bag of hot garbage, to put it lightly. And there is a ton of people that absolutely love it and it is one of those things you love it more power to you yeah that I was just, my take on it I, that third act to me was atrocious and i just it was a mess i uh, just don't see it. it but yeah no i just thrown it out there i just don't see it but it's a prime example of how everybody's opinion is going to differ about it 
Yeah, hey, which I, I I tend to share a pretty good uh, uh tend to share an opinion with you a lot on a lot of the films I've seen you post about, which is funny because okay. we we've we've told uh, Maddie, you know, like, hey, even Tim said this one was bad, so you know, you gotta <laughs> it's bad. Maddie, Maddie, uh, really, I will give her this. She always tells me in private uh she respects my opinion a lot of about different movies and like i said i've had a lot of really good conversations between us two about different movies and we really have gotten into detail about some stuff and uh getting to know maddie over the past couple of years has been a lot of fun because yeah, john wasn't it uh what was it just recently you and uh you had just commented on just like yesterday or whenever it was that was something where you were like hey even tim said this was crap come on you know? <laughs> oh God, yeah, it was something I unfortunately watched. Um, God, what was that movie? But yeah, it was something I saw, and and you're like, come on, Hobgoblins. Oh yes, like Hobgoblins. I mean, that movie I should have loved. It's '80s. It is like tenth degree ripoff of Ghoulies, and it was just terrible. Yes. Oh, Tim, you have yes. mentioned several times now that mm-hmm. you guys are currently filming Tales from the Gross Side. Now, yes. I know that that's based on your short stories that you write and you've published. Um, can you talk a little bit about Tales from the Gross Side, the book, and then uh, Tales from the Gross Side, the movie? Uh, yeah, Tales from the Gross Side, uh, I written the first book about four years ago. Not so much burned out from writing, it just... I wanted, I always, since I was a kid, wrote stories and short stories. Everything from, and I think everyone goes through a phase of writing fan fiction, stuff of that nature. I used to write sequels to Friday the 13th movies for the longest time. And yeah, yeah, it, it just, I did that for years. But when I started writing reviews, never did any of that. Um, wrote a script or two, just threw them to the side had some ideas just over the years and one day i just decided you know what it's like i don't know if i i was having a serious conversation with myself which i do a lot of times um but just questioning a do people even care books or in print anymore and would they buy them and yeah you know, so and I was having, and it was making me doubt if I wanted to continue gross movie reviews just in general, just because of, you know, I, at that time it was something like six or 7,000 movie reviews, and now it's over 10,000 or so. And it just, I wanted, I was like, I finally decided, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to start writing a few short stories. Let me see where this goes. Cause I had an idea, and it just happened to coincide of the election with donald trump and i just no matter what side of the fence you are on i i mean i honestly don't care i just felt like okay if this is going to go downhill quickly i want this to go road warrior style day of the dead i want this to be you know jacked up and i was like and i took that and literally sat down for two hours and wrote my first story, a short story. And that's what started all of a sudden. That's what started Tales from the Gross Side. Once I did that, um, then I wrote a, I, I just wrote a kid's 
like alien Sasquatch movie kind of, or Sasquatch movie Sasquatch story, which was kind of just because I've watched Demon Warp a few times and always loved that idea. Uh, just different things that have rolled around my head for years, dreams I would have, unfinished scripts, um, put out just a version of Leatherface three continuation without calling it Leatherface three. Just a unfinished sequel script to Undead Holocaust, a short film that I made already, but I had, like, I re- literally started writing a script right after that and just put it aside. And I decided to put in short story film uh, form, and that was where these stories were coming from. And just like I was coming up with these, because I'd always hear, but like, people would ask me, what the heck is rolling around in your head that you're watching? Again, you're watching Drain Snake Massacre 3. You love Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, You're looking for Hard to Die just because it's, you know, the other movie that's connected to Sorority House Massacre, stuff like that. And I just got me thinking, and that was how the first book was born. And then the past couple of years, I wrote another one and another one. And it was just, I couldn't stop writing. And I loved it because it was different from writing reviews. Not that I, you know, didn't care to write the reviews. It was another outlet and it was fun doing it. And then what was funny after I did the third book uh, two years ago, yeah, but a year and a half ago, what was funny is uh, I wrote it and that was at the same time I wrote the massacre book and I had another review book and they all came out and a week later, the pandemic happened. So it's just, I was like, well, I'm done writing gross tales from the gross side stories. And of course with the pandemic, literally I did not write anything. I would say for seven months straight story wise. And uh, when I got sick last year and uh, not COVID related, that's a whole other story. Um, I was sitting at home for six weeks and I was trying to figure out what to do with myself. I sat down and just started jotting ideas down. And next thing I know, I started writing a book, not telling anybody about it up until recently. Then like, hey, guess what? I've pretty much written Tales from the Gross Side 4 now. <laughs> but at that same time, Dan was writing constantly. He'd be like, is this okay? He would draft me scripts and... That was how like Pink Eye to Horror Story has been one of the favorites people have picked out of those short stories just because literally it started with a parent uh, uh, with a person named Terrence Maine. Dude had Pink Eye five times in one year. And I kept telling him jokingly, I was like, you understand you're doing the butt stuff wrong, correct? And he I was going to ask if that one is sub is like, you know, got the subtitle of, you know, Pink Eye. Yes. Yeah, well, it, there is there is mention of butt stuff quite often throughout the entire, it, also in the script, which... Excellent. Yeah, it, it is a running theme because that was the thing. What I did, knowing Terrence was married, I literally wrote the short story and sent it to his wife just to see what she would say. Uh-oh. And <laughs> she, within minutes, emails me back and goes, this is one of the funniest damn things I've ever read. She goes... You nailed him right on to the point. He does not like to be called Terry. He has to be called Terrence. (laughs) And I even put that in the story. Never knew that. I just came up with it. 
while writing it because I just I had a joke with him. I'm like, how are you get? Where are you getting pink eye from? And how do you do it five times in a year? So of course I was just joking. I was like, you get it from butt stuff, and that's how the story came to be. And then uh, another one that's going to be in the movie is Sorority Sasquatch, which the whole point of my love of you know '80s sorority movies, whether it's Rush Week, Killer Party, just you know we know they're all going to die. It's just what manner of how they're going to die. Well, let's flip the script a little bit where the sorority girls have literally killed off all their pledges if they do not come up with anybody to get into the sorority or at least pledge to be in their sorority. They're going to lose their charter, kind of like Revenge of the Nerds. So Sasquatch is a peeping Tom. They decide we're going to get Sasquatch. (laughs) That's brilliant. And that is how the whole thing, and there's a script for that. So it's Pink Eye, the horror story. There's uh, Sorority Sasquatch. There is another one, a story that uh, I did not sleep one night, which is also going to be in the movie called Tap, Tap, Tap. And it's because uh, my son, who's autistic, uh, was going through med changes. And... There was a couple of nights in a row where it was screwing with him so bad he was not sleeping. So guess who else was not sleeping? Well, I was sitting there one night. It's three o'clock in the morning and I just keep hearing on the wall and it's him. Tap, 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 tap. Literally, as I'm sitting there, I cannot sleep. I go to work because I did not sleep that whole night. As soon as I came home from work, I wrote the short story. I came up with a whole thing and it the whole premise it's about a demon named bob and basically it's kind of like if you would see him it's kind of like the medusa thing you would basically explode but bob is bored of being a demon and instead of just haunting a person he just wants to hang out and watch stephen colbert so (laughs) that is how i came up with that one and that's in there and then there's uh one last one it's called the poo touch which should be interesting because we actually have to work with kids uh the whole point of it it's like tag i mean we all remember when we were kids we are the meanest you know sons of anything there is in the world we come up with some really bad stuff and when we pick on a person we don't let that go. I mean, we all know that one person. Well, the point of this is the whole thing of the premise is this little kid uh, that doesn't like to play tag or in this case, the poo touch. And literally the kids will not leave her alone constantly throughout the story. She's having bad dreams even into her adulthood that she has the poo touch. She smells like poo to the point she manifests a physical into the physical world an actual poo monster but as the script goes it will be up to you to decide if it's all real or not oh i love that that those are my favorite type of of films and and stories and stuff is ones that leave it to you to leave it up to you to your own imagination to figure out what you know what you believe and the whole wraparound, yeah, we are ripping off Creep Show and other stuff. We'll we get it, but Dan would have it no other way. I am the gross keeper. Um, part of it is uh, last year, 
got to work with Jorge De La Rosa and Jim Roberts in the same day doing Hellvan and doing a part for Happy Horror Holocaust 3. And Jim wanted me to be a horror host. No script. Gave me a musician. And everything I did, I don't know when this movie will be finished, will ever get out there. I just want the footage of this because none of everything I am saying in it, none of it's scripted. But I got to do something I always ever wanted to do, and that was be a horror host. It, it was just a lot of fun. And Dan peeked in and seen, and we talked about it. And he's like, that's the gross keeper right there. That's when he started writing is writing the wraparound story. He's like, you've got to be the gross keeper no matter what. I was like, okay, let's do this. So we already uh, shot all those parts already. That was the first thing we did for tales from the gross side, the movie. Uh, you were kind of a horror host for a uh, spirit animal being in the beginning of the film. So. Uh, that's my brother. Who's talking at the bar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah, that's my older brother. That yeah, uh, Tom Gross. I'm actually Chief Willowalla. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Who gets killed by yeah. the buffalo? Yes yes. And uh, just to make my brother happy, because he Spirit Animal was, was his first movie. He got the well, actually his second movie. But he always bitched we didn't have him in Jagoff Massacre or Blood Freak even. <laughs> I'm making sure he shows up in every segment of Tales from the Gross Side. Awesome. At, at some point, he will be the Easter egg. And we've already shot something for Pink Eye to Horror Story. If you pay attention, you will see him. Well, Tim, I, I think we've talked about everything that we had. Do you have any more questions for him, Monster? Uh, no, I mean, just basically where can uh, people uh, keep up to date with your stuff and follow you? I mean, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, gross movies and stuff like that. So um... uh, Always find me at grossmoviereviews.com. You can look me up on Facebook. People do find me through there, whether it's Tim Gross or Gross Movie Reviews. Uh, we do go through the Jagoff Massacre page on Facebook. Yeah, we do have the Blood Freak. And again, don't forget, uh, Drunken Yinzers Productions dot company dot site. If you buy a copy of Blood Freak this month, you're entered in to win the killer turkey head, which is a giant turkey head. Uh, I did post a picture of it when we had it up at Cinema Wasteland. It was a lot of fun uh, running around with it. We even had Chuck Connors, who has it on in the movie. We actually entered the screening up at Cinema Wasteland with him having it on, and I was literally throwing Iron Cities at people uh, for the screening awesome. of blood freak it was one of the most fun times we ever had doing a screening up there a lot of people seen it actually met a couple more uh filmmakers after it and talked to them for a while about blood freak but yeah those are the main places uh just look for i like to post on there about our convention appearances or even use the gross fest page which is a convention i help run also and talk about the little stuff we're doing and hopefully a big one again soon sometime in the future but hey, yeah Tim, sure. you forgot something what's that oh bloodbath and boomsticks what's that com. your books lulu.com uh, well yes i mean honestly as i always make the joke who in the hell buys books these days but uh <laughs> if you want to uh, buy my books tales from the gross side books um or the gross movie reviews books as john sasser 
wanted to point out. Uh, go to lulu.com. Um, usually, if you go on Facebook, you can find a lot of times a coupon you can put in for 10% off when you're at checkoff. So, yeah, or checkout, I should say. So, you can look for them there. Uh, so, please, if not, check out the website, grossmoviereviews.com. Find me on Facebook anytime. Send me a question. If you want to introduce yourself in person, please do it. Always like meeting filmmakers, fans, people alike. As I always say, I'm just a fan. Just a fan having fun, period. And um, when can uh, when is Gross Fest coming around so people can uh, pay um, attention? Uh, right now, because pandemic killed a lot of stuff. Um, we're kind of in hiatus, but without being a hiatus, as I like to call it, we're in an event without a venue. We're keeping all options open. We're not in a rush to do it. As I said on a couple different podcasts and to many people publicly recently, I have explained it. I'd rather do something in 18 months that's big and everybody's comfortable to come to than do something big in six months and it come crashing down. I've heard too many horror stories about some of the conventions in this past year. What I did recently was a little show called Gross Festo Ween at a bar restaurant and people absolutely loved it. I was already asked to do it again next year um, and did a screening of Jagoff Massacre also at this same bar. And let's just say I see some things in the future for Gross Fest, it, you know, some small events. Things are in the works, but I'm keeping that close to the vest and not letting the word out on what I have planned. But there's, as I keep telling people, pay attention. We we are not going away, believe me. Put too much of a, the I put a foothold into something that doesn't exist. And that is called a popular convention for independent horror films. Because the first one, we had people from four different states. The second one, we actually had people from, I think, 10 or 11 different states. So I know, I know we're doing something. Yeah, when it comes to uh, indie festivals, yours is one of, the, one of the ones that people should be on the lookout for and be aware of. It's, I mean, um, you know, because it's more indie than basically all the other indie, indie film festivals out there I've seen. You guys play a lot of stuff that nobody knows about, so... Yeah, and that's that's what I want to do. That, I applaud you. So. I, I want to do in uh, just talking to some of the people uh, and some of the guests. That's for a whole other conversation. But I've had a couple of guests, like what would be considered celebrities that have called me or emailed me. I'm like, this is my rates. And I'm like, that's nice. That's not how this works. <laughs> like, This is how it works. I contact you. I let you know I have a table, <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> I'm like, that's our budget. <laughs> the sad part is the first Gross Fest, um, I literally went with that, and everybody I asked said yes. Again, which is not supposed to happen. So I know we, I know that name is out there. I know we have done something. And I've talked to a lot of different filmmakers that weren't even a part of either of them, but have told me they are glad we're doing something just because anymore in a lot of these conventions, uh, the indie filmmakers, indie authors and artists, they've all been pushed out of it. They've been priced out of it. So yeah. 
And even when they are doing the shows, they're not making nothing because everybody's there trying to get their $200 autograph from Robert England. I hate to throw that dude under the bus, but it's the point. Yeah. Yeah, which is why, you know, that's why I say I, I appreciate what you guys do because, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of stuff like that. And hopefully here in the future, in the near future, me and John are, are both of us, since John is uh, shooting some stuff now for his own first uh, film, short film there. And I just shot my own first short film and it's in uh, post-production right now. So hopefully maybe we can get those into Gross Fest at some point. Awesome. I always <laughs> like hearing that. I always like hearing that. And I'm glad Yin's, uh had me on to talk about Blood Freak among many, many other things <laughs> also today. Uh, but yeah, please, anybody interested, go to the Drunken Yinzers Productions uh, website. Please uh, buy a copy of Blood Freak. Uh, it is everyone the majority of people yes there's been a few people that said they don't like blood freak that's fine that movie wasn't for you but the majority of people said they have loved it uh they liked what we did with it and i hope it has a life of all of its own just like jagoff massacre did because jagoff massacre just seems to never go away Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on and thank you for taking some time out of your day. We'll let you get back to what you got to do. And um, we're just uh, happy you came on and uh, we look forward to uh, having you back on in the future at some point where we can discuss some more stuff once, you know, uh, COVID kind of hopefully slows down, hopefully yeah. with that. Although there's the new variant going around, so it doesn't, it doesn't look likely anytime soon, but, but, um, but yeah, we just appreciate you coming on and it was just, you know, good to get to talk to you finally and and to you know find out some of this stuff so thank you no i i appreciate uh both hands for having me on today thanks tim no thank you sir and that'll do it for this edition of in the mouth of monster for john schatzer i'm monster dugan stay safe bye